Amen. And it is good to be with you today. Uh, second week in Hosea, as Susie mentioned. Um, I don't know if you've been reading Hosea on your own, but let me say what we're all thinking. This is a pretty weird book, right? You know, it's weird. Uh, but it also is beautiful. Um, one of the things I love about it, I, one theologian says it this way, Hosea is simply the story of how God's true love triumphs over our unfaithfulness. Isn't that beautiful? God loves us with this faithful love. That is the message of Hosea. We're going to start in Hosea chapter 3 today, and um, I'm going to warn you, I guess warn is the word, uh, we're going to have to talk about sex a little bit today. Um, so what could go wrong, right? Nothing could go wrong. I'm sure it'll be great. No, as uh, Susie always reminds us, the, the church should lead the way in conversations about sexuality because after all, our God invented it like prior to sin coming into the world, like it was our God's idea. So we should lead the way in these conversations, but often we are lagging far behind our culture. Um, so uh, we'll catch up a little bit today. That's all right. It'll be great. Um, let me start with a story, not a story about sex, just a story, just a normal story. Um, I have a friend, he's been married for a long time, let's say like 30 years, I don't exactly know, but like over 25, many, many, many years, right? And when they were first married, his wife said to him, um, yeah, I don't really get the point of flowers, uh, they just die on you, so I don't, I don't care about flowers, you don't need to buy me flowers. And he, in his male mind, uh, takes out the list and he crosses off flower purchasing permanently off the list with his wife. And in about 30 years, he has not bought her one flower. Right? Wow, yes. What do you think happened in 30 years? As you ladies often do, she changed her mind, right? And now she's like, I don't know. A flower would be nice, she actually said to my wife a few years ago. Like now, I'm like, I really would like some flowers, but I can't say that to him now. And so they're stuck. As marriage problems go, probably not the most complicated marriage problem, maybe a little bit harmless, but you see what, what I think it highlights is the complexity of marriage is marriage is not about the rules, right? Like there is no like just list that you can keep. It is about heart. It is about connecting. It is about listening. And as we grow and change, if we're going to be married for a long time, we're going to change a lot. And so we have to do that every day. You cannot just make a list of what your spouse wants and needs and stick to it for the next 30 years. Nor should you feel like you can't change. Of course you're going to change your mind. Marital love means we're constantly engaging with the other person, relearning their heart, not just checking boxes. And I sympathize with my friend because I, like I've done this to my wife. I've been like, oh yeah, this is how she feels love. And then I do whatever that thing is and it doesn't work or she's done that to me and it just doesn't always work the same way. Why doesn't it work the same way? Because love is not an equation. Right? I feel like that should be a song lyric. Love is not an equation. Am I the? Never mind. Um, love is actually not an equation. And when we treat love between two people as an equation, we inevitably wind up missing something. This is why marriage is such the perfect metaphor for our relationship with God, because God, like a spouse, wants our hearts 
in our relationship with God is not actually an equation, despite what you may have heard. Like we cannot just obey these things, get the reward. That's not how our relationship with God actually is designed to work. And when we treat it that way, inevitably we wind up missing some incredibly important points in our relationship with God. This is really what Hosea is saying to these people. They've been doing all this stuff or not doing all this stuff, and he's telling people, listen, at the end of the day, you've got to re-engage your hearts with this God. God is faithful to you. He is pursuing you. Hosea says he's alluring you. He's speaking tender words to you. And you've betrayed him because you've been out there doing all this stuff, coming back to God, trying to get the blessing from him, and then going off and giving your love to other people, and God feels betrayed by that. And so what Hosea is saying is you've got to re-engage with the heart of this God who loves you. That's the point of this book. And the illustration of this book, like that's what Hosea is trying to communicate, but it's being illustrated through Hosea's dysfunctional marriage. That's the metaphor in this book. So that's where we're going to pick up in chapter 3, verse 1. God is about to illustrate something else for these people about how a relationship with him works, and he does it this way. Verse 1. Hosea speaking, he says, the Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again, though she's loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes, which is a reference to idol worship. So Hosea married Gomer. They had three children together. Something happened. We don't know the story. And uh, Gomer and Hosea split. And Gomer uh, is living with this other man. And the implication is that this has been done for a while because God steps in to Hosea and says, listen, I know you both moved on. Gomer has moved on. But now I want you to go and love her again, is what God says. Verse 2. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. And then I told her, you're to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way towards you. So we have to acknowledge here uh, cultural differences. Like the idea of buying a wife, not great. Like that's super dehumanizing, right? It was very common in the culture. What is supposed to be notable about this is that Hosea does not spend very much Um, Like the purchase price is very low. So Gomer didn't have much value. It's a dehumanizing cultural practice, but it is meant to underscore this reality. To the world's eyes, Gomer was not very valuable. She was worthless. But God is saying to Hosea, I want you to love her as if she is valuable. For the rest of your life, that's how I want you to love her. Remember the metaphor in the uh, situation is she represents the nation of Israel. So from the world's standpoint, this is true. Israel, nothing special. The small little nation, nothing going for it. But God, uh, the God of the universe chose to love this little nation of Israel. And it was his love that made Israel special. That was the one thing, despite all their unfaithfulness, despite all their problems, it was this God that stuck with them in faithfulness and loved them. And it is this faithful God pursuing his people, loving them as if they are valuable. That is what Hosea is modeling here. Now, how did they reject God? That's kind of the relevant question here, and uh, Jose is going to use a phrase that is particularly potent, and that's where I want to kind of camp out today. If you turn over to chapter 4, uh, the whole book kind of describes some of the rejection of God that he's feeling, but there's a, a verse, chapter 4, verse 12, where he uses this phrase. He says this, 
My people consult a wooden idol, and a diviner's rod speaks to them. A spirit of prostitution leads them astray. They are unfaithful to their God. So obviously, a lot of the connection of this is idolatry. So the unfaithfulness to God that is represented by Gomer is connected to idolatry, but he uses this phrase to describe it, a spirit of prostitution. Uh, He comes back to that again. If you turn over one more page to chapter 5, verse 4. He says, their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. A spirit of prostitution is in their heart. They do not acknowledge the Lord. Israel's arrogance testifies against them. The Israelites, even Ephraim, stumble in their sin. Judah also stumbles with them. And so he's saying they're stumbling in this idol worship. But again, he labels it a spirit of prostitution. So we have to talk about this. This is a very sexual metaphor that he is using, and that means we're going to have to talk about sex. He's using it as a metaphor, so we have to understand what he's talking about in order to understand like what he's kind of trying to teach us here. So let's start at the beginning. What is sex? Now, I mean like from a biblical bird's eye view, not the details. You can ask your moms and dads about that. But I mean like, like big picture, what is sex? Please don't shout out answers also. I probably, I'm pausing for dramatic effect, not for answers. So at its core, I think uh, the biblical picture of healthy sex is that it is a vulnerable, intimate, mutually pleasurable act. At its core, that's what sex is biblically. Biblical sex, it is far more about giving to one another than it is about taking from one another. And you may have noticed this biblically, a lot of the pictures of sexuality in the Bible are unhealthy pictures of sexuality, right? Like there's a lot of broken sexuality in the Bible. But if you look at the balance of scripture that talks about a healthy approach to sexuality, you will see that because from God's perspective, it is rooted in vulnerability, mutuality, dependence, all of that sort of stuff, that lifelong fidelity is always the preferred and best context for sexual expression. Here's another way to say this. Uh, God knows this about us. We should know this about us. That the human soul was not meant for lots of sexual partners. That's hard on our souls. That's why God cautions us against it again and again. And I think what God knows here about sex is if we were to graph it out, like the act, the physical act is maybe 10%, and 90% of sexuality is the soul stuff that's happening under the surface. And so God says, this is the stuff that I'm looking at in trying to encourage you how to handle this 10%. Like that is why God seems to constantly point to us uh, that we should find a person and in the context of safety and in the context of mutual commitment that we would fully explore sexual expression there, both the act and the 90% soul stuff that's happening under the surface. He wants us to explore it. He just wants us to do it in a way that's safe. Now, we can all intellectually understand that, uh, but I'm, as I'm sure you are thinking in your head, like that doesn't really clarify the problem we have with sexuality. Uh, the problem we have with it is we are all uh, filled with sexual desire. Like we didn't choose it, it's just in us. And while God says, hey, I want to encourage you with that sexual desire to do what is best for your soul and what is best for your flourishing, desire in us says, thanks God, I'll figure it out on my own, right? 
And our desire for sexual connection, can we just acknowledge, it is one of those desires that can feel overwhelming to us. So sex can be something that we long for so deeply that it almost feels to our soul like it is a need. Now, sex is not a need, but it can feel like it is that level, like it is a need for us. And so what that means is our hunger for sex makes it very difficult to trust God with it. Just like anything else that you're like, I have to have that, it's very difficult to trust this invisible God with sometimes, and that's true with sexuality. Our hunger for sex makes it very difficult to trust God with it. And that truth, in a nutshell, is why prostitution exists, right? Going back to Hosea's description here. That is why prostitution exists. It's the oldest profession in the world and is the oldest profession because it came along probably immediately after sin entered the world and our hearts started saying, I don't know if I want to trust God with these longings and these hungers and these desires that I have inside of me. And so prostitution is a convenient solution to the overwhelming desire that we have sometimes for sex. Now, um, I think I'm likely a little bit of a unique case. The work that I do with our partner, the Exodus Road, in the space of human trafficking, I've met a fair amount of prostitutes and been in a handful of brothels, which I realize is not common in our culture. Um, Just from observation in those places, what happens there, I think it's an attempt at this, but it, it is an attempt to totally separate the vulnerability, the intimacy, the mutuality, the dependence, the relationship, to totally separate that stuff from the act of sex. So none of those things that God desires us to experience in a sexual relationship happen in the context of prostitution. In fact, the opposite is true. A brothel is a place where everyone is working really hard to treat sex as if it is just that 10%, just the act. And as we collect evidence in places like that, it's been interesting. I've talked to men who go into those places, and there's all sorts of polite names for the men, like Johns. I mean, they're, they're abusing these uh, boys and girls. I've seen in their eyes kind of what it does to their soul to try to separate that part of sex out. Because while they leave with the gr- physical gratification that they are after, um, they also leave with the soul sickness that comes from concluding that I am, after all, utterly alone. Because that is what their souls learn in that place, despite the physical gratification. In that experience, it reinforces to their soul that they will never find the intimacy and the safety that they ultimately long for, that drives them to sex, right? So that's the reality of all unhealthy versions of sexuality, though. Unhealthy versions of sexuality, they always remind us in some way that we are missing the real thing that we're actually after, and we are left a little bit more hollow for the experience. So going back to Hosea, the spirit of prostitution. What is the spirit of prostitution? It is when we say, I will take all of these desires that I have inside of me, and in a way that's self-reliant, I'll gratify them. 
I won't trust God with them. I won't connect them to the soul stuff. I'm just going to deal with it on my own so I don't have to depend on God or rely on him in any way. That is what was happening with the people. And he's equating it to the idolatry that they were practicing. So the spirit of prostitution is bigger than just about sexuality. It is just something that generally is very hard for us humans to resist. We're constantly looking for ways to gratify the hungers and desires in our soul without God's help right? That's what the spirit of prostitution is about. That, that is why, incidentally, like in our lifetime, the most efficient and attractive version of the spirit of prostitution when it comes to sexuality has become ubiquitous, porn. Like it is everywhere. Porn is prostitution, 100%. Porn is prostitution. It is also the spirit of prostitution. It is literally prostitution, but it also is designed to be a convenient way to gratify the desire without having to deal with all the soul stuff. That's why it's so ubiquitous. But there's other stuff in our culture not connected to sexuality, things that are the same spirit of prostitution, efficient ways to gratify our own desires. Um, you, You know, the sexual ones are obvious, but it applies to all sorts of hungers we have inside of us. Like we are hungry to not be alone. We long for connection and relationship. But you know what's really hard? Connection and relationship. So social media steps into the gap. You know, we long to have an impact on the world around us. We long to live with purpose and change this place. But you know what's really hard? Having an impact on the world around us. So what steps in and fills the gap? Politics. You know, we long for transcendent experience, to touch the divine, to experience something that takes us away out of this place where we're trapped. But you know what's tricky? Transcendence. So what do we turn to? Netflix, right? I was scrolling on Netflix for an hour the other day. And I don't think, maybe this wasn't the Holy Spirit, but I felt like someone said to me, what you're looking for, it's not on the Netflix feed, right? But that's that's the device. That's what we do. And if you're wondering if I just said social media, politics, Netflix, they're all the spirit of prostitution, I did, because that's exactly what they are. And I enjoy those things, but also we have to see how those things are convenient solutions to hungers and longings that we have inside of our soul. Spirit of prostitution is everywhere. It is the same as idolatry. It's the same thing that we're practicing today. It's just the things that we create to meet those longings and those desires that our hearts are full of that ultimately only God can fill. And we could list all day things that qualify. Uh, Like this is worth noting, our modern versions of the spirit of prostitution are way fancier and more sophisticated than worshiping statues, right? But our fancy and sophisticated forms of the spirit of prostitution, like that's just the makeup the prostitute wears to distract us from what's going on, right? The makeup that she wears, because if we could see her real face and the brokenness and the poverty there, we could never go through with the act. If we saw all these modern versions for what they were, we would realize that they, these things we create by definition cannot satisfy the longings and the hungers in our soul. That's why there's this never-ending pursuit of them. Just like a prostitution can't satisfy our longing for connection. Hosea is saying, listen, you guys, you've, you've 
turn to all of these things and you need to just turn back to God. Uh, we're, we're not, don't turn there, but in chapter 14, he says it in a way that I think is so beautiful. He's, he captures what we're doing and he captures what we should do. He says, we will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made. And he's saying this way that like we're constantly, we're finding things and we're like, this is going to be the thing. This is going to satisfy that hunger inside of me like it's God and it never does. And so we're like, throw that out. And what about this one? And we constantly pursue that and it leaves us more hollow and more alone. And Hosea is saying, can we just stop that cycle? People of God, stop that cycle, the spirit of prostitution cycle, where we seek to meet our desires by the things that we create, it betrays us every single time. And he's telling us as God's people, the only solution is to return to this God who satisfies our hungers and longings and to reconnect with that relationship. Turn over to chapter 6. He describes how to do that. And he gives us some great clues on what it takes. Chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us, that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. I hope you caught the subtle reference to Jesus. On the third day, he has restored us. Verse 6, famous verse. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. A couple of observations about this passage. I think chapter 6 is the crux of Hosea's argument where he's contrasting one approach with another pro approach here. And this is the first thing that I just think we have to observe, especially out of chapter, or verse 6 of this chapter. Um, like, we just have to realize this. Relational hungers can only be met by relationships, right? Like, that seems obvious, uh, but... How often do we hurt ourselves because we miss that? Relational hungers can only be met by relationships. He's saying, return to this relationship with God. That is the thing you had in your youth, mercy, acknowledgement of God. That's what's going to heal you. And he says, not just like all the burnt offerings, all the sacrifices, like that stuff that's just behavioral. That's not it. It's mercy and acknowledgement of God. Those are relational terms. They're not behavioral ones. So he calls the people of God, just re-engage relationally. That's what's going to fix all the other things in the nation. I think we see that out of the metaphor of sex. The desire for sex is a relational desire. Our sex drive is actually, it is a longing for a type of human connection. That is why prostitution and porn do not work. Like, that, that is 100% why, because it is a longing for relationships. Nobody feels, like, better after they watched a bunch of porn, like, more connected to their soul and more centered in relationship. No, because the physical gratification is only a small part of the hunger inside of us. And so God is saying to his people, listen, would you stop trying to meet these deep and profound soul hungers with idols your hands have made? Like they don't have a chance. By definition, they will not satisfy those soul longings just like a prostitute by definition will not be able to satisfy your desire for intimacy. 
So those longings of our heart, they drive us to all sorts of unhealthy behaviors that ultimately cannot satisfy our deep longing for God. And it's a longing not for his commandments. It is a longing for relationship, one that thrives on acknowledgement and attention. And the idea here is we have to see him like spouses see each other. We have to be seen by him. We have to return to mercy for one another, mercy from him, return to acknowledging the presence of God in our life. That's the solution. He's saying it is a dynamic relational solution. It's the only thing that's going to heal that brokenness. And the reason is this. I said it already, but let's say it again. When we try to meet our own desires in a self-reliant way, we hurt ourselves. Like there is no one who's figured it out, right? This is the story of everyone who tries to meet their desires and their hungers and their longings apart from God. Now, I know he says in the passage, God has torn us to pieces, but we also need to realize this. What, what he explains in, chapter, or in verse 5 of chapter 6, he says, God cut you to pieces with my prophets, right? Killed you with the words of my mouth. So the damage really is this, is that through the prophets, God has held up a mirror for these people where they've seen in themselves the spirit of prostitution and they have been left torn. So really, God is not the one doing the hurting. They have hurt themselves. God has revealed the tears in their soul. That makes me think of some of the men that I've met in brothels, um, the customers. Like they're so obviously, despite their attempts to act like they're just having a grand old time, they're so full of brokenness and longing and desperation to feed a hunger inside of them. They settled for abusing a prostitute instead. Um, and I, I feel this often, like, like if they could just glimpse, like if there was just a mirror for them to glimpse what they were, what they were doing, I suspect they would feel torn to pieces. Honestly, I think that is the nature of unhealthy sexuality is they already feel torn to pieces and they're just using that prostitute to numb themselves to the wounds that they walk around and carry. And that is why we grab onto unhealthy sexuality. What Hosea is pointing us to is when we take like a God-sized hunger and turn to what our hands can create with any desire, not just sex, but with any desire, we hurt ourselves every time. And I think the reality of one of the challenges in our relationship with God is most of us, we walk around with enough self-inflicted wounds and God, the revealing God, shows up in our life. And honestly, it's like we'd just rather ignore God altogether than see those wounds for what they are. But what Hosea is telling us is the only reason God reveals the tears in our soul is so he can heal them, right? He has torn us, but he will heal us. He has pointed out our wounds, but he has done it so that he can heal them. And this is the implication that we have to wrestle with, what it means to be a spiritual person following Jesus. Walking with God in relationship, it is about finding healing for those broken places. That's what it's about. It's not about nailing the behaviors. It is about exposing the tears in our soul to the God who secretly wants to heal them. Hosea says when we return to him, he will restore us. In this returning to him, it's not about stopping sin. Uh, it is about bringing our broken desires to him so that he can restore them. And if we stop the sin, but he never heals those desires, I honestly question if we're better off requires us to trust him. It requires us to return to him again and again, but it also requires us to see what is under the surface 
that is motivating the behavior. And when we, we, when we reduce our relationship with God to the idea that God is just super frustrated with our sin and wishes we would stop, then we, like we miss all of that. We miss the reason he showed up in our life to heal and restore the brokenness. Let me close with this. Um, I know we're talking about sex. Someone after the first service said, I guess you use the word sex more than it has ever been used in a sermon. And I said, thank you. I don't, I, they didn't give any commentary. They just said that and walked away. And I was like, okay. Um, I know we're talking about sex a lot. I, I hope you're hearing it's more than just that. It's more than just about sex. Sex is never just about sex, right? Never. It isn't in Hosea. Um, I do want to point this out, though, about sex, uh, because every single one of us, we are all sexual beings. That was created in us, bearing the image of God, before sin ever stepped into the picture, right? God created us as sexual beings prior to that. And so I want to uh, promise us something. Like, most of us, we show up to a place like church with the assumption that probably most people are not struggling with sexual brokenness, and so if we are struggling with any sexual brokenness, it is easy to feel very alone in a place like church, right? But here's what I want to promise you. You are absolutely not alone. Biblically, you are absolutely not alone. There is not an age or a phase of life where we achieve sexual wholeness, as long as sin is still in us and as long as we're sexual beings, which are two things that will be true of us until the day that we die, there is not going to be an age nor a season of life where we achieve sexual wholeness. So we're going to have to wrestle with this thing with God, allowing him to heal us. Um, and so instead of showing up to a place like this, just assuming that most of the people we meet probably aren't wrestling with sexual brokenness, I actually think that we should show up to a place like this, assuming that every person we meet is wrestling with some form of sexual brokenness. And if you think, well, Jonathan, I'm not. I'd love to meet you. I have some questions for you. Because the rest of us humans who are sinful and also sexual are struggling with it. So here's what I want to say to all of us. Um, if you are struggling with sexual brokenness in your life, like, I just, I want you to hear this. God sees you in that struggle. And he is calling you to return to him. Now, I bet if you've been to church a bunch, this is not the first time that you've heard a message like that. But I want to tell you, there's more to it than maybe you would assume. You may think that message just means he wants you to stop that behavior. That is not what it means. It means so much more than that. This is where we have to hang on to the picture of chapter 3, Hosea and Gomer. It is not just us returning to God. It is our faithful God returning to us again and again, claiming us. On some level, we are all Gomer. We are the people who, because of our sexual brokenness, have concluded that we are worth nothing or little. And we discover this God who loves us as if we're worth much, just like he had Hosea do to Gomer. God shows up to get us Every single time, his desire to restore, his desire to heal, it is inexhaustible, right? We run, we run, we run, he restores, he restores, he restores, and there is nothing in God that is in any way shocked by our struggle, right? In fact, the opposite is true, he moves towards it. When we're struggling, he's like, oh, that's an opportunity 
to have that conversation I've longed to have. And here's what we may not realize. Um, To heal us, God wants us to understand that deep soul hunger inside of us that drives us to unhealthy sexuality again and again. That's his agenda in our lives. He wants us to understand what is happening under the surface. And we focus on the 10%. How can I fix that? How can I deal with those issues or those behaviors or whatever it is that's holding me back? And he's like, what about the 90%? Could we go there? He's offering to restore that thing, not just change our behaviors. And so what we have to understand is whatever the sexual sin is that we are struggling, it is actually pointing at something else. And it's that something else that God wants to heal. Let me say it this way. The reason we can't stop the behaviors is because we often don't understand the broken longings underneath the behaviors. And that's where your God wants to take you. That's why he's come to get us. God's not surprised by our sexual issues. Like, he knows us. He knows what he's dealing with. He understands us. He wants us to understand us. For some of us, maybe even for the first time, you know, we have to realize this. Part of what Hosea is teaching is this truth, that our sexual brokenness isn't just a behavior. Like, you realize that, right? It's not just a behavior. This is why all the behavior modification strategies are, like, they're lifeless, because it's not just a behavior. The answer to your sexual struggle is not more willpower. I want to just graciously say to you, if that was the answer, you would have figured it out by now. Yeah? You know, that's why God is saying, no, it, it was never just willpower. I don't want you to worship your own efforts. I want you to worship me. Our sexual brokenness is about a broken longing in our soul. And so our only hope for healing and restoration is not trying harder, is not figuring it out, but it's finding healing in a relationship with the living God. You've probably heard this great quote from G.K. Chesterton. He said, every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. Every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. And what he's saying is this, whatever the sexual problem, and there's a whole spectrum of them, right? A lot of different versions of it. You could be on the, I'm struggling to control my sexuality into the spectrum. You could be over here on this end where I have no interest in the sexual part of my being end of the spectrum, right? Wherever you are on the sexual brokenness spectrum, whatever that sexual issue, it is a spiritual issue. It is a spiritual issue. That's what he's saying. It is connected to this hunger and this longing inside of us. And what drives someone to a brothel is that longing for God that is an unmet longing. Let me hit you with another quote. Um, This is something my therapist says to me. Um, And it applies to every aspect of our lives. It certainly applies to our sexuality. Hungers that we disown or ignore become particularly savage to our soul. Hungers that we disown or ignore become particularly savage to our soul. And I know every single one of us, if we had the courage and the vulnerability, could probably tell a story about how our sexuality, which is really just a hunger for connection, has savaged our soul at times in our quest to do something with that longing that's so overwhelming, it feels like a need. We've turned to something our hands have made 
and we have been left torn. We've betrayed ourselves and betrayed God in the process. What we need to hear out of Hosea chapter 3 is that is the moment that our husband Jesus Christ shows up and says, she is mine. He is mine. He always has been. She always has been. And they always will be. All this talk that Hosea is doing about acknowledging the Lord, it is really an invitation to go back to those things that are under the surface and acknowledge him there. So how do we do that? Well, in the 45 seconds I have left, um, let me sum it up. No, uh, so this is true. Uh, wrestling with this, it is, a, it is a lifelong gift to us from our God, you know, right? Uh, so I can't just give us all easy answers because there's, uh, it's complex, right? I do want to get us started, though, in the wrestling. So let me give you a question. This question works with all sorts of issues we struggle with, but I think it especially can be potent with sexual issues. Here's the question that I want you to meditate on. If this struggle is not just about sex, then what's it about? If this struggle is not just about sex, then what's it about? The answer to that question, I would suggest, is what God has been trying to get us to see for a long time. And that is the place where what Hosea says, press on to acknowledge God, becomes really relevant. If this struggle is not just about me wanting sex or me resenting sex or me chasing after a certain idea of sex or me being ambivalent towards my sexuality or me using sex to escape, if we just took sex totally out of the equation for a second, what is the thing that we're actually longing for? What is the thing that we're using sex to try and get. God has been trying to ask us that question our whole lives. What is it? I want to give us some space with that. This could be uh, maybe the most awkward end to any sermon ever. Uh, I, but I just, I, I just want to give you some space. Obviously, this is, there's a lot of personal stuff to this. So can I ask, um, we're going to enter a time of reflection here. Would you just close your eyes, bow your head, whatever, uh, just so it's in some way just you and God. I know we're all here together. And I want to give us just a couple of minutes to prayerfully interact with those questions. If struggle's not about sex, then what's it about? What is the thing we're actually longing for? And then I'll come back up and close this. God, would you help us to understand ourselves? We know you see us. Help us to see ourselves the way you do. Reveal us to us.
Obviously, this is a deep work, a lifetime work. I do think it is a work that God is in. If you're sensing that, gosh, I like this area of my sexuality, I want to actually do some work there. Can I recommend something to you? There's a podcast I've recommended before. It's called The Place We Find Ourselves. Uh, the two specific episodes, episode 49 and 50. Um, they're entitled Struggling with Sexuality, How to Understand, How Understanding Your Story Can Surprisingly Help with an author named Jay Stringer who wrote a book called Unwanted, um, episode 49 and 50. If nothing else, if there's some sexual brokenness right now that's active in your life, this might be a good place to start addressing that. Or reach out to any of us on the pastoral staff. We'd love to talk to you more. We're going to do things a little bit backwards today. I want to close us with a benediction, and then Jeff and the band are going to end us with a worship song. So would you stand for us? I want to read over us Hosea chapter 6. This is the work. Hosea writes, Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will restore us. He has restored us that we may live in his presence. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Let's worship.